0: I didn't get a coffee, but I'm not bitter.
1: You didn't. You, you didn't ask. You,
0: when? 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 It were was we on asked? the group ages ago. Oh.
1: Before long before <laughs> we came in <laughs> What's here.
0: It really? I completely really missed that message. Okay, fair enough. I'll go apologise to Abby. Uh,
1: how does it normally start?
0: <laughs> how does your podcast usually start, Dom?
1: <laughs> Hello, my name's Dom, and this is your guide to making it through med school. It's
0: Redwood, Redwood Ramblers.
1: Hello and welcome back to Redwood Ramblings. Today's topic, we will be covering haematological malignancy, multiple myeloma. I'm here today with the wonderful Rachel, Dr. Rachel Hughes.
0: Thank you. Well, nice to be back. I finally got back to you.
1: You did. We've all been very busy recently, haven't we? So first of all, I apologise for the, um, the downtime we've had in the podcast, but we're back and... What are we back with today, Rachel?
0: I thought we could talk about multiple myeloma. A really common thing that I found in all my exams through med school. So hopefully it'll be useful.
1: I like that. Yeah, it is commonly examinable. Shall we visit your questions, Rachel?
0: Lovely. So question one, really nice and easy. What is myeloma? So option A, is it a cancer of the bone marrow? Option B, is it cancer of plasma cells? Option C, is it cancer of the blood cells? Or D is it a cancer of the lymphatic system? This is a little bit different. It's not going to be an ATE question, but I thought for each component of our FB t- FBC tests, we can try and think about what abnormality you'd expect in a myeloma patient. So first, what would you expect with your red blood cells? What would you expect of your leukocytes? What would you expect of your platelets? What would you what change would you see of your ESR? And what would you expect of your plasma viscosity?
1: it's going to go one way or the other right it's going to go up or down high or low i'll
0: hint it's probably not normal but yeah up or down that's all we need to know for now wit abnormalities are often seen on blood films in myeloma option a is Bence jones proteins option b is rouleau formation option c smudge or smear cells option d is ur rods and option e is a reed sternberg cell We've then got a little case. So we've got a 51-year-old man who's reviewed by his GP. He gives a two-month history of increased urinary frequency. He's more thirsty than usual. He's had some constipation but denies any other symptoms. He has no past medical history and takes no regular medication. We did a calcium level and we've checked it and it's come back at 288 And our normal reference range is 2.2 to 2.6. Don't worry, I'll give you the normal ranges. So it's high. It's high. What is the subsequent most appropriate initial investigation for this patient? Would it be a CT chest, abdomen, pelvis? B is a parathyroid hormone level. C would be a blood film. D is a serum angiotensin converting enzyme level, or ACE. And E is a urine-albumin-creatinine ratio. And then the last question, which of the following isn't a risk factor for multiple myeloma? Is it female sex, age, being black African, a family history of multiple myeloma, or a history of monoclonal gammopathy of undetermined significance, or MGUS?
1: So those were your questions. Now, you might have noticed, it's been a while since you've heard from our old friend, the Riddler. Hello, I am Harry, the Redwood Riddler. You may have seen some of my work up on the notice board in Redwood. I'm
0: here on the podcast to deliver further riddle.
1: Redwood Riddler, what is your riddle today?
0: I am an odd number, but once you take away a letter, I become even. What number am I? Right then,
1: Rach, uh, here's the thing, okay? Multiple myeloma, it's a bit of a minefield. I, d- I don't even know where to begin so can you tell us please what what is going on what's happening what what's the pathophysiology of multiple yeah, myeloma
0: of course I love a blood cell this is all my past life and my previous degree so we'll go for it so multiple, my- multiple myeloma is an example of a paraprotein- proteinemia. so you've got abnormal proteins in the blood what we see in multiple myeloma is there's a hematological malignancy which is characterised by a plasma cell proliferation that's had a, a normal genetic mutation in it. Plasma cells are an example of one of our B cells, which is usually involved in, like in our adaptive immune system, and they're responsible for just making lots and lots and lots of a specific antibody really quickly. With multiple myeloma, these plasma cells have had a genetic mutation, and they're making a thing, they're making these antibodies so fast and so quickly, they're not making the proper protein anymore, or the normal immunoglobulin. What this means is either a normal, fully formed one or a little part of the immunoglobulin is just being overproduced and kind of causing systemic effects in multiple myeloma. If we harp back to our immunology lectures that I'm sure everybody loved as much as I did, <laughs> we're thinking of our normal Y formation, and that's made of your two light chains and your two heavy chains. So in, in multiple myeloma, there's an abnormal production of abnormal levels and different types of proteins or immunoglobulins. Over 50% of the time, the usual immunoglobulin that's affected is IgG or IgA. They're usually the ones that are most overly produced and like incorrectly made. And when you have so many plasma cells making these, they usually build up in the bone marrow. And because there's so much production of these cells and these antibodies, everything else in the bone marrow doesn't get made. So we call that abnormal hematopoiesis. So we're not creating proper blood cells or our full range of our normal blood cells. A good example of some of these abnormal proteins from multiple myeloma is the Benz-Jones protein. That protein is actually a subunit of the IgG light chain. So again, we're thinking of the common things that are in myeloma. And part of the way we excrete it is in our urine. So we test our urine for the Benz-Jones protein.
1: So is that always producing multiple myeloma or just most of the time?
0: Most of the time. I wouldn't say always. I still do your full other range of investigations. Okay. So multiple myeloma is an example of a malignant paraproteinemia. So that's a cancerous form where we're creating abnormal proteins. There are different types of malignant ones that we're not going to talk about today because that's too much. And there's some common benign paraproteinemias. One of them you might have heard of is monoclonal gammopathy of undetermined significance so when your blood tests maybe in a healthy person on an incidental finding you might get like an overproduction of a certain immunoglobulin or part of them and but you can't really see any cause or it's any effects of systemic disease from it so you've got this paraprotein but there's no actual disease resulting from it
1: so with mgus with this monoclonal gammopathy of unknown significance on significance are we worried about these patients do we just let them go that's
0: a good question they're typically found incidentally but we should keep an eye on them they usually get routine follow-ups and repeat blood tests every now and then just to make sure because there is a risk of transformation into a malignant disease or multiple myeloma so they'll get followed up in the future just to make sure they're not transferring to so something a bit more scary while multiple myeloma is rare it is the second most common haematological malignancy. So it's not something to be ignored. And I've certainly had loads of questions about it in my exams. I think, I think
1: it's, yeah, heavily examined. So is this a haematological? So is this looked after by the haematologist or by the oncologist? Both. Okay. Both. It's
0: okay. a nice little combination. So you'll get a bit of involvement from both teams in the MDT.
1: All right. I love that summary. I feel like I've understood myeloma. Thank God, you, Rachel. Exactly. That's amazing. Okay, so how on earth does this present? I mean, you know, you've explained it beautifully, but but how's it gonna present? You said it's got loads of systemic problems. I mean, it's it's this tiny little proteins, these tiny, tiny proteins. What sort of problems are they gonna cause?
0: It's interesting, because there's so much that can happen, and we're really thinking of that multiple systemic disease from myeloma. The most common thing that we usually find in exams are bone disease. So, plasma cells produce abnormally in the bone marrow, stimulate some of our stromal cells, which are also in our tissues, in our bones, and they create more cytokines. Cytokines, hint back to immunology very quickly, I promise I'll stop, are little signaling molecules released by cells to say, come here or go away. These ones attract or they stimulate our osteoclasts. And if you remember, osteoclasts are the ones that are involved in kind of breaking down the bone for remodeling. So you've got increased bone absorption and it also suppresses our osteoblasts, so cells that blast down new bone and make new bone formation. This results in abnormal bone metabolism where more is being taken away than made. So you get what is called osteolytic lesions, where you get abnormal little patches in the bone of really weak, po- really weak points in the bone, which are a bit more susceptible to things like fractures. So it could be that they have bone pain or they've got pathological fractures, so things like femur fractures perhaps and a really low impact injury or like a young person where you just don't think it quite adds up with the injury that they had. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm with you. The commonly affected bones for osteolytic lesions in myeloma are your skull, your spine, your long bones and your ribs. Cool. So when we're thinking about all this abnormal bone remodeling, you're breaking down loads of bones or you're breaking down lots of bone tissue and a result of that is you've got a higher serum calcium.
1: Of it- course. Yeah,
0: so you've got increased calcium running around in the blood. And that's usually also a really important sign to look out for in myeloma. While hypercalcemia is usually from this abnormal bone metabolism, as we just described, it can also be uh, contributed to things like your impaired renal function from myeloma or from previous disease. And it could also be from like high PTH levels, so we should really check our parafired hormone. Which we'll talk about later as well. Now,
1: I know that hypercalcemia is not a very nice one to have, is it? You you can get feel quite unwell if you're hypercalcemic. Yeah.
0: So the common symptoms we look out for hypercalcemia are things like constipation, things like nausea, they might not feel very hungry so they've got a bit of anorexia, and they might also have an element of confusion. Okay. So those are our usual symptoms for when we should think about hypercalcemia. Mhm. Mm-hmm. We mentioned a little bit about renal function with myeloma you've got all of these abnormal proteins or abnormal immunoglobulins and things running around in the blood and they can actually essentially clog up the kidneys and impair your renal function. This causes renal damage and it can present as things like dehydration and increase first. You should also consider other causes for renal impairment in myeloma. Myeloma can co- can cause an element of amyloidosis and that can kind of exacerbate in a renal impairment from myeloma you can get nephrocalcinosis so that high calcium level in the blood can cause a bit of calcification within the kidneys and that can again impair your renal function Or it can even be caused by myeloma treatments We quite often use bisphosphonates to try and protect the bones in our myeloma patients And that can also cause some kidney damage So is it the disease or is it actually our fault from the treatment as well? So we have to keep a really fine line and look after our kidneys
1: So we're keeping a close eye on these if we're treating patients Okay, okay So you mentioned earlier that the overproduction in the bone marrow of these plasma cells Yes It causes all the other bits of the bone marrow to switch off yeah. So on our full blood count, are we getting some other abnormalities as well?
0: Yes, so that's some other really important signs and symptoms. So you could get an element of anemia because you've, you've kind of cut off all the other production of other red, of other blood cells in the bone marrow. So things like your red blood cells will be going down because you're kind of focusing all on producing this abnormal blood cell that's creating all these proteins. Uh, they might present with anemia initially, so they could be quite tired and fatigued. And you do a blood, a blood film and you're like, oh gosh, look at all this. Because you've also got this overproduction, all your other blood cells should be going down. So as well as an anemia, you'll have a thrombocytopenia, or your low platelets. And you should also have your neutropenia, so you've got low white cell counts as well. Okay. Which kind of leads into our two other common symptoms. So because you've got a neutropenia, you should also, well, you would also have an increased risk of infections. And because you have a thrombocytopenia, you'll have an increased risk of bleeding. So that could be another way these patients can present.
1: Okay, so that's the basics of our symptoms. So we're talking about anemia, symptoms of anemia. We're talking about infections. We're talking about bleeding. We are talking about renal failure, which could be, as the disease progresses and we treat it, could be at the start. Symptoms of hypercalcemia. And lytic lesions, broken bones that yeah. we wouldn't expect. Yeah. Okay.
0: There's a really nice mnemonic to remember them. <gasps>
1: Wait, hold on.
0: Oh, yay! My favorite section. <laughs> Did someone say
1: mnemonic? <laughs> Play that theme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This right, this right. You know what time it is, you know what time it is, you know what time it is. Stop, 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 no, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not Donomic's mnemonic, it's not, it's not Dom's, um, it's the students and it's not a mnemonic, it's just something that they can remember things by, a song, um, acronyms, anything really, so yeah, it, it, we, we need to scrap that, sorry. Right then, we're here today with Rachel for our... <laughs> not Dominic's mnemonic. <laughs> <laughs> Alright Rachel, let's go for it.
0: Sorry, I'm so excited now. So our mnemonic for the day, woo woo is Krabby. <laughs> And that's just a nice way to remember all the signs and symptoms we're looking at for myeloma. So C in crabby is for your calcium, so you should have a high calcium. R is for renal impairment. A is for anemia. B is for bone disease. The other B is for bleeding. And I is for infection. A nice way, I thought, would be like the crabby old gentleman, because it usually affects our older gentlemen. So we don't like being sexist or ageist no no but, but just a way to remember it <laughs> it's, a, it's a handy
1: reminder so it's crabby with an eye yeah and that is rachel featuring on today's it's not Dominic's. dominic <laughs> okay then rachel When do we move on to investigating who are we investigating
0: We usually should have like a little alarm bells if we've got maybe an older person who's got persistent bone pain that we've not really figured out a cause for. So maybe someone who's had back pain for quite a while that's not responding to treatment or that's got no abnormal findings on examination. More like bony tenderness, point tenderness is quite worrying. Mm -hmm. They might have those unexplained fractures that we mentioned earlier, where it might be quite a low impact injury, but they're having quite significant fractures is usually a bit of a warning sign. And another thing that we could... Well, and it could be an incidental finding on a blood test for anything else. So if you've got an abnormal FBC, you might want to think about referring for investigation or doing initial investigations in GP.
1: I see. Now, you mentioned there, so we're talking about investigations, you mentioned there about a blood count, and we've already sort of discussed it a little bit. So our full blood count, that's going to be one of our you know, first, most simple investigations that we can do. Yeah. So we're going to be looking for anemia, you mentioned, thrombocytopenia, neutropenia, and those are our main findings on a full blood count. Yeah. Okay. Any other bloods?
0: So you could, they can do quite a lot of bloods, actually. It's quite it's quite easy. So it's quite easy to do in the community. You might want to check things like your ESR or your erythrocyte sedimentation rate and your plasma viscosity. So how thick is the blood is also raised because it's just clogged up with all of these extra immunoglobulins. So thick, thick blood, which is something we should think about with like venous thromboembolic disease as well. Okay. You might want to check your use and ease. Like we mentioned, renal failure is a and symptom of myeloma. You might check your calcium levels. Of course. We love a bone profile. And um, there's an extra test that we might not initially do, but think about later, which is taking a sample for a peripheral blood film, which shows something called a rouleau formation.
1: <laughs> so you get your blood film back, your peripheral smear, and it'll say rouleau formation. Yeah. That'll be the report. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there any way we can look out specifically for these proteins?
0: So there's a, there's a test called electrophoresis. Again, I'm not sure if all of us will be familiar with it. I, I did it in my undergrad. And essentially, electrophoresis is a lab technique that separates DNA, RNA, or big clunks of protein, separates them into like little sections of them, and like separates them based on their overall charge. In myeloma, you're going to get a really abnormal thick band, so relating to a paraprotein these abnormal proteins so there'll be an abnormal protein that's in high concentrations cause a thick band and you might also have elements where some proteins are suppressed so they're lower than what you would expect in a normal sample you can either use a urine sample and find that abnormal benz jones protein or you can do a blood sample and separate all the proteins in the blood to find this paraprotein
1: so we've got urine for benz jones protein yeah. and blood for protein electrophoresis yeah okay
0: After we've done all of these initial blood tests and electrophoresis you can do something a bit more invasive like a bone marrow aspiration. They just take a sample from inside the bone in the bone marrow and it just shows this overproduction of plasma cells and overall reduction every other cell really. But again I wouldn't jump to that first line because it's quite invasive and not quite as easy to do in the community really.
1: Is that where we're going to be getting our sort of definitive diagnosis?
0: Yes, that's what we use to confirm the diagnosis.
1: Okay. We've mentioned a lot about these bone lesions. Presumably we're going to x-ray them at least?
0: Yeah. Historically, they used to focus on full-body x-rays, and they've started to move to other forms just to try and be a bit more mindful for like radiation exposure. So I think the gold standard now would be a whole-body MRI. That can be quite... Sometimes it can be quite a while to get a whole-body MRI, so they might go for a whole-body CT but they still also is like a scope for using whole body x-rays. You might have heard of patterns left by those lytic lesions that we talked about earlier in the bones. So we have remember these patchy changes of these really thin areas. And there's there can be some confusion. In myeloma, they have what's called a raindrop skull where it looks like if you look if you imagine like a normal x-ray of a skull, you've got that nice white skull but what actually looks like on myeloma, it's got like a raindrop pattern, so a little splodge pattern. And quite big, and it just looks really strange. It's not the same as a pepperpot skull, which you might see in hyperparathyroidism. So again, something that could be a bit confusing. With pepperpot, it looks more like if you threw a load of pepper onto a plate. Really fine black spots, so you've not got these really big splodges like a raindrop. They're little, tiny little black spots on the skull.
1: Hyperparathyroidism and multiple myeloma both can cause hypercalcemia. Yes. And that's what we can see on these x-ray changes. That's what you're referring to. But they're going to look very different. So the pepperpot skull is hyperparathyroidism. Yeah. Whereas these other changes, the raindrop skull is our multiple myeloma. Yeah.
0: Okay. It can be confusing. When you're testing someone for hypercalcemia, you probably would want to check your parathyroid hemp hormone first because... If it was hyperthyroidism, we got a clear cause for our hypercalcemia. If it's like a malignant picture, your parathyroid hormone should go down from your negative feedback from having so much thyroid hormone and calcium running around the body. So this is another way to kind of differentiate what's the actual cause of all your symptoms. Can be a bit confusing. Immunology and endocrine.
1: And if you want to look at these images, there's some really good websites. We're not going to mention any because we're not sponsored yet. But when they do want to get in touch and sponsor us, we'll be more than happy to mention them. Yeah. (laughs) um, So any websites out there looking to sponsor a really great podcast, (laughs) just get in touch. RedwoodRamblings at gmail.com. Okay, so we have managed to investigate our patient with query multiple myeloma. How are we going to manage them then? This is, this is going to be some high-level haematology and, and oncology stuff, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll try my best to go over it. I'm not a, an oncologist, unfortunately. But myeloma, it, it's not really a curable disease, but we can do a lot to kind of increase the quality of life and quantity of life for our patients. So it's usually like a chronic relapsing, remitting picture for malignancy, and we can do a lot to really improve their quality of life. We're more aiming to control their symptoms, try and reduce these complications and prolong their survival as much as we can. Induction therapy is what we usually start off with, which is a combination of drugs that we can use to treat myeloma. You think about targeted drugs such as bortezomib and thalidomide. The one of the few times you still use thalidomide. We think about our chemotherapy agents, our cytotoxics, so things like cyclophosphamide. And also some steroid treatments to try and reduce that bone pain. You think about your combination depending on what the actual patient needs and what kind of fits their stage of disease, really. There's one other treatment that is a possibility for a certain group of these patients, which is autologous hematopoietic cell transplantation, or basically you're taking your own stem cells. We take them away during your chemotherapy. And then once you finish your chemotherapy, we give you back your stem cells. So you're using your own blood cells and not transplanting someone else's. Allergenic transplantation is when you use someone else's stem cells, but they tend to have quite a nasty graft versus host disease reaction, so we tend to avoid them. When we do these stem cell transplantations, typically they're in our younger, healthier patients, because they can be quite nasty and cause quite nasty side effects. So probably not for our late stage or our older patients who might find it a bit too much.
1: So we've got some quite high intensity treatments mm-hmm. some chemotherapy steroids some special targeted drugs and then possibly in some younger healthier patients we're talking about this autologous stem cell transplantation and the other thing you mentioned about was treating their symptoms so yeah we talked for example about um, bisphosphonates earlier yeah. and that's for these fractures is that right
0: Yeah, so if we have got those patients that do have these bony lytic lesions causing pain or these pathological fractures, we would think about bone protection. So things like bisphosphonates. They are to try and prevent any further fragility fractures from occurring. And these fractures can actually be quite a large cause for morbidity and mortality in our myeloma patients. So it is an important thing to think about. Bisphosphonates work by reducing that osteoclast activity, those ones that break apart the bone. So they're really helpful in disease process reversal. You can also use radiotherapy to help with the bone pain and surgery can be an option for a certain group of patients to try and stabilize the bones and try to prevent any further fractures from occurring. Again with all this adequate pain, pain control we want that analgesia think of your WHO analgesic ladder and yeah just look out for certain things that also might be a complication so things like spinal cord compression of all of our oncology oncology patients so again if they've got all those symptoms that we mentioned earlier of hypercalcemia we want to reverse that so we've got all these agents that we can use for hypercalcemia so our calcium collators anemia you can help support with blood transfusions if they need it when they need it and infection think of vaccinations that they would need to keep them safe so things like annual influenza vaccinations they'd be eligible for they can also receive immunoglobulin replacement therapy because we lose all of our normal immunoglobulin, immunoglobulin production because we're just producing that abnormal one now. So really prone to infections. Okay.
1: There's some interesting treatments here then. So we're treating their complications. We're making sure they've got good quality of life. Mm-hmm. And we're monitoring their renal function, yeah. keeping a close eye on them, making sure they're feeling good. All right. I mean... I think you've just given us a whistle-stop to a multiple myeloma. I think you've done a really great job of something that (laughs) I feel I've really struggled with in the past. So thank you, Rachel.
0: No, I hope it's helped.
1: It's definitely helped me. I have no doubt it's definitely helped some people out there. We have had an email from one of our students who was asking about hypercalcemia. She wanted us to do a episode on hypercalcemia and we will be doing that episode but this is going to be a really important episode uh for her to listen to isn't it because hypercalcemia is a big part of multiple myeloma so any patient presenting with hypercalcemia we're going to rule out um, multiple myeloma possibly after we've ruled out Hyperparathyroidism? Yeah. OK. Yeah. All right. OK, it's time to revisit our riddle. A quick reminder, I am an odd number, but when you take away a letter, I become even. What am I?
0: Here's the answer to that last riddle. It is seven. Seven.
1: we hit up your questions
0: lovely so our first question was what is myeloma hopefully we should all be able to answer this one was it a cancer of the bone marrow b cancer of plasma cells c cancer of the blood or d cancer of the lymphatic system
1: okay definitely not lymphatic system nope now the bone marrow produces makes our blood and and plasma cells So it's cancer in one of those three. But if we were listening carefully enough, it was specifically plasma cells, wasn't it?
0: It was! Yay! You're an immunologist now. Join the dark side. (laughs) (laughs) Our next question was more thinking about whether certain elements of the FBC tests would have gone up or down, if you remember. Oh, yeah. So, first of all, we were talking about our red blood cells or our hemoglobin.
1: They're going down. They are. They're going down. They are going
0: down. Get out. How about our leukocytes?
1: Leukocytes. Do
0: you remember what what's a leukocyte? For it's all a white you guys, blood cell. It is.
1: So that's going down.
0: Yeah, you're right. Our platelets. I suspect you're going to get this right too. <laughs> I think,
1: if I remember rightly, it was all going down.
0: Wow, great. It's like you don't even need me. How about our ESR?
1: Our ESR, erythrocyte sedimentation rate. Now, normally low it's normally between zero and 15 i think depending on your lab i guess yeah but so this must go up it's got to go up
0: yeah because you think you've got all these abnormal proteins it gets really thick and it is just high okay. might help with the next question how about our plasma viscosity our kind plasma
1: of... viscosity viscosity how thick something is how viscous it is that's going
0: up yes god you nailed it yes get to the lab now i'm thinking again about our investigations What abnormalities are often seen in blood films in myeloma? Was it A, Benz-Jones proteins, B, the Rouleau formation, C, a smudge or smear cell, D, an air rod, or E, Reed-Sternberg cells?
1: I've seen Reed-Sternberg cells Mm -hmm. in the past. Yeah. But they're not for myeloma. No, they're not. No.
0: No, they're usually in something else another haematological Oh, i
1: knew it i knew it some sort of some sort of leukemia
0: hodgkin's lymphoma oh lymphoma <laughs> but you're close you're close okay have been a bit naughty of these
1: yeah some of those i haven't <laughs> heard of do you want to take us through them
0: yeah sure so the correct answer would be a rouleau formation which is what we'd find in our blood films you might have been a bit caught off guard by the Bent jones protein but if you remember we'll talk about blood films and this is usually found in our urine of course so i was being a bit mean a smudge or a smear cell you'd find on a blood film for a patient who has chronic leukocytic lymphoma, not leukemia, sorry. And our ear rods are in our acute myeloid leukemia.
1: So these our rods are leukemia, but Reed's number, lymphoma. Yeah. Okay.
0: So it's being a bit mean.
1: Uh, specifically Hodgkin's lymphoma, actually, not yeah. just any lymphoma. Not, yeah, non- it's not Hodgkin's, but, but Hodgkin's. It's okay.
0: a nice way we can differentiate between Hodgkin's and non Hodgkin's. All right. Nice. So we had a little case. We had that fifty-year-old, fifty-one-year-old man who was reviewed by his GP. He had a two-month history of increased urinary frequency, first and constipation, but now any other symptoms. He has no past medical history, takes no medications regularly. Had a high calcium on his blood tests. And what was the most appropriate initial investigation for this patient? Was it an A, a CT chest, abdomen, pelvis? A B was a parathyroid hormone level c was a blood film d is a serum angiotensin converting enzyme level and e was a urine albumin creatinine ratio
1: now ct tap it doesn't have any role here does it um no, i don't think so no real indication uh pth we know he's got hypercalcemia so we do need to do a pth at some point blood film that's going to really help us with if we're worried about myeloma in this guy so it could be that one um serum ace that, we haven't even talked about that i, I, I think know. that's just yeah. one thrown in there to to think make us make us worried and the other the urine acr as well which is used in um, monitoring renal function in diabetes particularly so i'm gonna go with the blood film
0: so close there's one thing we need to rule out first for hypercalcemia so a really quick test we check our parathyroid hormone level it's
1: talked about this earlier it's almost as if i knew
0: (laughs) it's almost like you you said the wrong answer on purpose i've had people ask me this so many times never (laughs) yeah so we want to check for our common causes of hypercalcemia first and again like we talked about earlier if it's high, we know it's hyperparathyroidism. If it's low, we know there's lots and lots of negative feedback, so it's more worrying for like a malignant cause.
1: Okay, it's a quick, nice investigation. Yeah. Yeah. Now, realistically, yeah. you get a load of blood, you send it to the lab.
0: You would just do all of it. The same you way. might do
1: a blood smear first, but you're ruling out, first of all, with the PTH, yeah. your your diagnosis. So particularly for exams, that's your, appro- your first and most appropriate initial blood test there. Yeah. Okay.
0: And... For our last one, which of the following factors isn't a risk factor for multiple myeloma?
1: Is not a risk factor. Okay, now I've got to switch my, switch here we my go, brain here off. Here
0: we go, here we go. A, female sex. B, age. C, black African heritage. D is a family history of multiple myeloma. And E is a history of monoclonal gammopathy of undetermined significance, or MGUS.
1: Now, it's always worrying when, in the answers, the first one you hear is the one you think, oh, is that one. And then you hear all the others. But I'm I'm gonna stick with my guns. I think it's female sex.
0: You're right. It's usually more associated with men. The ratio isn't dramatic. I think it's one point three to one female. Okay, okay. But it's slightly more prevalent in men.
1: All right. Is that your last question, Rachel? Yeah. Is that the last thing you've got to say on multiple myeloma? Yeah. How sad. <laughs> I but know. also how wonderful. A massive thank you. I've really enjoyed um getting to grips with multiple myeloma <laughs> today. I've really, really understood it would you like to say your final thing which is goodbye
0: yeah see you later see you soon
1: bye